Someone I hold in such high regard, a great friend, and every time I get a chance to speak with them, I feel like I always walk away a little smarter and uh, challenge in a great way. So, Scott, um, I'm going to let you introduce yourself, um, for those that don't know who you are, to, to set the stage here, and then we'll dive into the conversation. Thanks for the kindness, Aaron. Uh, hi, everybody. My name is Scott McLeod. I'm an Associate Professor of Educational Leadership at the University of Colorado, Denver. Uh, I used to be in Iowa. Uh, ran the educational administration program at Iowa State, uh, was one of the leaders in the statewide grassroots one-to-one movement where we went from six one-to-one districts to 220 in about six years. Um, it started EdCamp Iowa, started the Iowa One-to-One Institute um, as a counterpart um, to the iTech conference, uh, six months separate, and so on. And I've just been boots on the ground in like 140 Iowa school districts trying to make the work happen, which is how I know Aaron. Um, I'm also, um, I have worked with most of the AEAs, um, SAI, um, and so on. So lots of organizations within the state. And I'm very active online. You can follow me at Dangerously Irrelevant or on Twitter or and a number of other places you can sort of find the work that I do. And as you can see, I'm casual today, um, as Aaron and I just kind of hang out and chat about whatever he wants to talk about. So here we go. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, so quite the long list. And, and for just like every session we've talked with, this is another just um, really important, uh, powerful person to have in your in your learning networks, as we're all trying to work on these things together. And I think for a lot of us, uh, we're realizing now, maybe more than ever before, how important it is to strengthen our networks. Um, for a lot of time, people have been doing that, some maybe not so much. And I think we're now really starting to see a need. So Scott is definitely one to throw into your circle, um, because there's Lots of great content and new ideas um, always coming through all the time. So it's always a, a great voice and perspective to have. But Scott, why we have you here, you know, I know you and, and Julie Graber, another person here in Iowa, from, you know, at, at one of our AEAs, recently published a book. And, and not that this is going to be a whole book talk, because I know you have a phenomenal book series on this very topic, which will be linked as a resource. Uh, but your book was Harnessing Technology for Deeper Learning. And, and what perfect timing, you know, unfortunately, uh, that, that this book really kind of fits into the fold. And, and really where, where I want to take this is, one, I want to make sure people are aware of the book, but two, what are you seeing in, in the landscape? And I know you work with, not just in Colorado, but, you know, a lot of people reach out to you. You get to see a lot of um, different perspectives and, and ways that people are, are trying to figure this out. But what, what are you finding that people are doing that, that are finding maybe some, some success? I know that's super broad topic. I mean, that's not very specific, but just to kind of start there of here we are, we're, we're four to six weeks in here in Iowa at the time of this recording. So we're not into a stage of like, let's think about what to do. We are now going, we're in it and we need help. And by we, I mean everyone in education, and that would, I think, even extend that to parents and community and stuff. Where, 
maybe what are some questions people should think about? What are some things that you've seen maybe as an example? Um, and that might be the catalyst to dive deeper into some of your, your other ideas. Because I think people right now are just going, help me, <laughs> please help me. And I'm not even sure they even know what question to ask because we're just, it's a big burden right now. Right. So uh, thanks, Aaron, for mentioning the book. Um, Julie and I wrote Harnessing Technology for Deeper Learning to try and um, help educators and school systems think about um, how do we integrate uh, richer, higher level thinking, more real world authentic work, um, and high levels of student agency into our uh, technology infused pedagogy. Um, and we referenced the four shifts protocol, which is meant to be a very practical tool for educators to do that. Um, the four shifts protocol itself is free, so you don't have to buy the book to get access to that. Just search for it on Google, it'll pop up, and hopefully that's useful to all of you. I think what we're seeing, um, and I spent the summer working with educators in Virginia and Texas and Massachusetts, actually, uh, and we spent a lot of time sort of working on instructional design um, and thinking about this fall. Um, is that you first have to get past the equity and the access issue, right? Like it's hard to talk about online and remote teaching if some significant number of your students don't have access at home with a device and some decent internet bandwidth. A lot that we can do about that other than for your local community to try and figure out how to get access for those kids. So I'm gonna just sort of assume that that's a baseline that you have. I was been pretty good with device access for instance, and hopefully you're solving some of the home internet issues. Um, and I think what I'm finding, um, what we're all finding, right, is that we can't just continue to push out worksheet and homework packet-like stuff to kids and think that they're gonna be engaged. Nor can we uh, just fire up, you know, the webcam and lecture our kids for 80 minutes each day or whatever your time block is and expect them to stay engaged. In other words, the same kind of instructional variety that we need in our face-to-face -face classrooms, we also need in our online or blended classrooms. And so for many teachers who aren't necessarily very familiar with some of these remote technologies and blended possibilities, that's a tough call, right? What we saw in the spring was that as we went into sort of emergency shutdown mode is that mostly what we did was sort of lower level factual recall and procedural regurgitation. And that might've taken the form of digital worksheets rather than paper homework packets. But bottom line is, we, you know, that was all that we could muster in the spring. Um, and the challenge for us is this fall is that we can't do another, you know, semester or year of that. Uh, we're already losing kids left and right. You know, we lost them in the spring. We're losing more of them this fall. Kids are just disappearing, you know, in, you know, who knows where they're going into the landscape. Right. Um, and they're just kind of going dark on us. Um, and if we're going to keep these kids engaged, uh, we have to design for high engagement um, in online teaching like we would in face-to-face. Um, so with that basic premise, I think we'll also articulate the, the main challenge, of course, which is that um, we don't have the same kind of connective tissue between human beings that we have when we're in a classroom face-to-face, -face, right? So it's a bigger challenge for us to establish those learning communities and those relationships when everybody is scattered in their homes uh, online uh, via the camera. But that's the central work, and it's probably the most important work that we should be doing right now, even more so than, say, content coverage, right? So yeah. let's pause there. And yeah, I'll no, I think it's good because I think you, you hit on a, a key point, and 
I go back and forth on this. Like, I don't know what comes first, the chicken or the egg type premise. And I know right now with the, the schools I support and the teachers that I'm working with, whether it's through this PD or just other general questions, the big struggle right now tends to be, you know, um, this type of scenario and it's phrased 20 different ways. One, they're not coming on to any of the calls whatsoever if they're 100% online, if, they, if a family has chosen that, or if it's the hybrid and they need to come in and do whatever the, 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 the live learning looks like. Um, and it looks different for every single building. But the kids aren't coming on. Or number two, they're on, but their, their video's not on, um, the audio's not on, and they don't ever engage in the material. You know, And then number three, we obviously have just the turning in of assignments, and that's always that's always been a conundrum whether face to face and you know I, I call it the chicken or the egg because some of it can be you know are you creating the content where they're engaged but at the same time how do you even get them engaged if they don't even begin step one um, you know and so as we think about that Scott what are what are some maybe I'm gonna say ideas or questions or, or stuff for teachers to think about because Here's, here's what I see. I see teachers, and I know you can relate to this, they're working tirelessly. They're putting more hours in than ever before. They're not attaining the level, I'm going to call it, of, of success that they're used to maybe in face-to-face, -face, regardless of what their teaching practices were like. And they're just starting to get to that point of like, what, what else do I do? And I don't know that there aren't perfect answers out there in this. You know, this is new territory to some degree. You know, this is new territory for their coaches. It's new territories for their admin. It's new territory for their support. Um, what are your thoughts on that? I don't, I don't want to say give strategies or tips because that's you know there may not be anything concrete. But but where are you? Because I feel like that is the real crux. And if we can calm some of that down, I really think then then educators can have a little bit more energy or time to maybe dive into some of these other things that they really want to. But right now it's, they're pressed. I got to turn in this data. I got to turn in these grades, but the kids never attended anything. So what am I to do? Yeah. So Aaron, I jotted down some notes real quick and you know, you articulated sort of three challenges. One is the kids who don't show up at all. Right. And I think teachers can be part of that response team, but that should be administrators, counselors, school support staff, we need to be making home visits, you know, with masks, safely distanced and all the things, right? <laughs> we need to track down these families and these kids and just say like, you know, like what's going on? Like we don't really know what's going on in the home situation where these kids who would have shown up to school are now not showing up at all. Yeah. That's mostly beyond the teacher purview unless, you know, a school decides that maybe teachers because of their relationships with kids are a good sort of first outreach um, to hopefully, you know, get some kids to respond there. I think the second issue around which you articulated, which is kids have their mics off, they have their cameras off and so on, is that we don't really know what's happening at kids' homes, right? And for every sort of white, middle-class, you know, family supportive situation like we have at my house, right, with my high school junior, uh, we have other homes which might have multiple family members, it might be fairly chaotic there, we don't know if students, you know, are muting the mic because there's, you know, noise pollution in the background that they don't want to filter into the class. We don't know if a student is necessarily embarrassed by their home situation, doesn't want to show that to everybody. And so um, I, I think this idea of microphone and camera optional is, is a great idea yeah. um, because it allows students to make the choice in any given day, what seems to be best for them and what may be a very challenging home situation. 
And I think, you know, we have to remember that we are guests in students' homes virtually, and we can't just impose, you know, some of these control measures that we might otherwise try to make happen in school. Um, which brings us to the third one, which is that, you know, I'm much less worried about a kid who's got their mic and camera off if they're doing some work and participating All right. than, the one who, than the one who isn't, right? Um, and in terms of the assignments, I think it goes back to this idea that, you know, we have to unpack why aren't kids turning in assignments? Is it because um, they're struggling for device access and time, right, with other members of the family? Is it because they were confused and don't know how to outreach to the teacher for help? Is it because they don't find the assignments meaningful and relevant, right? But now they have more agency over that decision-making at home than they did in school, and so they can decide not to do it in a different way than they could if they were in your classroom and so on. And so, you know, it's hard to know what's going on with the assignments without unpacking a little bit what the student motivation or, or experience is there. You know, you said, what else can we do as educators when we're already, you know, uh, working harder than we ever have worked before? And I think the answer is actually not to do something else, but to do something less. Mm. Um, I think we have to give ourselves the grace of recognizing the time period we're in and the context that we're in. And, you know, if we burn out by the end of October, that's not going to help anybody, right? So we have to somehow figure out how to exercise self-care, how to um, take care of ourselves and our families and our other loved ones. And yes, our students are that dynamic, but ultimately, right, you know, the school year is a, is a long slog and we can't just flame out here in the next few weeks um, because we're trying to do everything that we did face-to-face -face and more. Um, it's just not sustainable, right? And it's just not healthy for anyone. And so I think the answer is to do less, and I think there's a couple different ways to do that. One is to really take a hard, hard look at your curriculum and say, what are the absolutely essential things that have to occur here? Um, and to focus on those primarily, right? So I was talking about the high school principal in California, and she said there's the stuff that kids just absolutely have to get out of this class. There's the second bucket, which is sort of you know, the stuff that would be really great for them to know um, and, and could be interesting to explore. And then there's the third bucket of stuff, which um, is stuff that somebody says, you know, it's like the, the margin material in the curriculum, the right. stuff that, you know, is sort of lower level or, or less important. And you said, dump bucket three completely, right? Which might be as much as a third or half of your curriculum, right? figure out what in second, in the second, you know, make sure you do what's in the first bucket. And in the second bucket, bucket, that's where you're negotiating, you know, which pieces of that do we want to really make sure happen and which ones we might have to let go. Um, and then by doing less, that actually lets you go deeper, right? And lets you focus on conceptual understanding, lets you focus on meaning making and sense making with kids rather than sort of this relentless content coverage. Uh, March. And so what that also does, it also frees up space for the teacher to do less, right? Like as a teacher, you probably should not be spending, you know, 16, 18 hour days making lesson plans and, and figuring out direct instruction for your kids. You need to figure out ways to hand things over to your students. That might be an inquiry project, that might be a passion project, that might be some group work, that might be some kind of other interesting research investigation, anything that sort of offloads the ownership of the learning work from the teacher to the student is going to be helpful right now, right? So figure out how to create some longer 
structured inquiry and meaning-making experiences for students where they are driving the work. And that allows the teacher to then free up their time rather than saying, oh my God, I gotta make all these things right by tomorrow. And it takes twice as long because it's remote because that's the recipe for burnout. And to figure out how to tap into students as partners in that design experience rather than having to do all of that yourself here. So yeah. those are some thoughts. So I know some of that's, you know, when we get down to the crux of it is it's, I'm going to call it universal teaching practices that we know work, whether we're talking online or face to face. I feel like a lot of people still have the online, I'm going to group online and hybrid together just for this sake, but I know that there, there are differences um, as it's like one sphere. And then there's like the face to face. And I think for where a lot of the pressure that educators are feeling is it feels like two separate jobs. It feels like I've got, my face-to-face -face lesson planning and instruction and classroom management. And then I have this online world, whether that's through the hybrid approach or fully online and they don't mesh, they don't play well. And so they, you know, what would be one lesson now, everything's becoming two lessons. And I know I can sit here and be like, they should be one and the same, but it, it doesn't always click in the brain of people where this is, this is a lot of new stuff. Yeah, go ahead, jump in. Yeah, I mean, so I have a thought on that because okay. I think they should, they should be one. They should be one and the same because otherwise we're asking teachers to do double work. Yeah, and so and, and the answer here is to design for everything online, right? So even if you have kids face to face, the bottom line is you have some kids who are remote, right? And so unless you want to yourself by saying I'm going to design this in-person learning experience here and this online learning experience here right and trying to design for both basically just design everything for online and then when you're lucky enough to have kids in class what are they doing they're working on the online work just like the kids at home are working on the online work right but you also just have the luxury of relationship building community building the chance to connect with each other interpersonally in a face-to-face in-person setting and so on right but the work itself is all the online work it's the same online work that the people that the students at home are also doing. And that's one way to really reduce the burden on yourself as an educator, because you're not trying to figure out, oh, we're going to do this one thing in the classroom, we're going to do this other thing up in the cloud, right? Is that everything's in the cloud. All the learning work is in the cloud. And if you're lucky enough to have kids in front of you, um, then do that for the social emotional stuff, do that for the relationship and community building stuff, do that for the checking in with kids, um and tutoring stuff and so on but the learning work is all here for everybody and then you don't have to design for you know double spaces you're only designing for one yeah and that just seems as you're talking i'm sitting here going duh <laughs> like it makes so much sense and now here i am i've been i mean i, I think about my own own mindsets of I've been supporting teachers that I really thought of it that way. And I know that's going to be so helpful for the teachers that have been asked to do, do both. You know, I think that kind of feels like two jobs or the educators that maybe have been able to do all online, but they have to connect and be on the same page with the teachers who are doing hybrid. If they all work collectively through that approach. And so maybe just to, to build off that a little bit, I know, in, in other sessions that we've explored in, in this particular PD series, and I know just anything that people have probably shared or, or looked up, we know, you know, we start thinking about online lesson development or project development, things that we, we hear over and over, which are important, but we, I think most people know these things. One, your video should be short, you know, the five minute or less type of, of theory, you know, we should have the quick check. We got to make sure we have engagement, you know, think about how you use your live sessions. So we know some of those things. But I, I feel like 
still a lot of people are still trying to struggle to wrap their head around how do we create these meaningful experiences? Uh, how do we create this engagement online, knowing that we know we need to chunk it and, and layer and, and, you know, we know there's 742,000 tools out there that will, you know, quote unquote, solve all the issues. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Are, are there other things they should think about? Is there, um, you know, anything else to that equation, not to make it more complicated, but I think it's, we, we, we hear it, we see it, we talk about it, and it's still hard to do. I don't know how else to explain it, but maybe it's, it's still hard to like make it happen. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple, I think, key resources for um, your educators. One are, one is uh, the work that's being done by Catlin Tucker right now. So um, if your folks are not familiar with Catlin's work, um, she's like the guru of blended and online learning. Um, and she's very practical, right? Like, you know, you go and you visit her blog and website and she has very, very practical tips about, you know, how do you do station rotation, for example, in a blended or online setting. Um, and so uh, Catlin should be a fantastic resource in terms of some of the practical logistics of the day-to-day -day work um, for your educators. And then the other one is uh, Jennifer Gonzalez at Cult of Pedagogy. Um, who also is trying to help people think through some of the practical implementation strategies and techniques that will be useful to teachers. And so between those two, um, your educators should get some pretty good tips and techniques that might be pretty useful to them. Um, I think the other thing for me is that, again, under this idea of doing less, right, is that so much of what we do as teachers could be offloaded to students if we're willing to give up a little bit of control. And I think what this online or blended modality is forcing is this forcing us to give up some control, right? Like of necessity, we have to rely on our students as uh, greater directors of their own learning than we had in the face-to-face -face classroom, right? So let's say, for example, that I used to be a social studies teacher in middle school, right? And so let's say that we're talking about, I don't know, the Revolutionary War. That's probably about the right time right now. It's October, <laughs> right? Um, with kids in, in American history, right? And so, you know, ordinarily we might spend a couple weeks in some unit that I designed. We would read some stuff in a textbook or some other readings. We'd have viewings, websites, whatever, right? Um, and then I would give them an assessment. But, you know, there's lots of topics to explore Revolutionary War. So maybe I'm still doing some of that work as a teacher, hitting some of the key things that I want them to hit, but I'm also assigning chunks of it out to kids, right? And either individually or small groups or pairs or whatever, right? So now it's not my job to teach the rest of the class about the battles of Lexington and Concord, just to pick something, right? It's actually your job, Aaron, with your partner to learn everything you can about the Battles of Lexington and Concord over the next couple of days. And your job is to make a three minute explanatory video that will be shared with the rest of the class, right? And now all of a sudden, boom, I as a teacher don't have to do that work. You're doing that work instead with your, with your um, partner, right? Uh, who's a classmate. And then what we're doing is we're getting student voice, we're getting student agency, we're getting student creativity. The students are owning the learning work. Um, and then what I'm doing as a teacher is that when those resources come back in, right, and so I've got, you know, eight to, you know, 12 different student projects, right, within the Revolution War, and collectively we're teaching each other about different aspects of what's happening. And then my job as a teacher is to fill in the few gaps that students didn't cover, right, so maybe there's 
couple of key things that I want students to know on your topic that you didn't hit in your video. Well, I can surely fill that in quite easily, right? But the students will probably get 80, 90% of it, right? On their own. Um, and they'll have fun doing it, right? Because they get to own the work, they get to be creative around it and so on. And I think this idea of divvying up the subject topic, right? In ways where the students can own a piece of it and I own a piece of it as an instructor and we come together to teach each other and dialogue around it is very different from me having to shove all of it at you as students, right? And I think these are the kinds of strategies that we definitely have to employ now when we're remote, but probably also should be doing when we're in class. Yeah, and so if we, we run with that example, as you're talking about that, it makes me think about, okay, so the, the, the kids are building some ownership, they're working on this material, Educators still have a requirement. I know it looks different um, from district to district, but the, these live sessions, um, one of the things that pops in, and we can call them office hours, maybe it is a, a Q&A session, and not to get goofy on names, because I know there's also conversations like, let's rename office hours, like, but it's, the, the, the kids are gonna sniff, sniff out the, the, the bowl in that anyways. My question is, kids have this ownership. What are your thoughts then with the live sessions? Is that, have you have you seen examples where that works where it's wide open i know my wife when it was i i call the spring the emergency teaching versus you know here we are in, in, in remote working with small groups and they could pick up for time slots i think teachers are also trying to figure out what that looks like because kids aren't utilizing those 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 opportunities maybe as well as they should some of that is is helping kids understand these new modalities of teaching and learning and what right. that looks like do you still see a need for more of that live for that kind of conversation, maybe more for direct instruction. What, what are your thoughts on then repurposing that? Because when we repurpose our, our original thoughts where I'm gonna do the direct instruction, here's all the things you're gonna do, you know, yada, yada, yada. Now I'm moving to student ownership. The, the, the domino effect in a good way now goes, well, now what do I do with this chunk of, of live time? Right, absolutely. So lots of things to do with the live time. One of course is just relationship and community building. But, you know, I'm thinking about my son, who's a high school junior here, and he's taking civil engineering right now, right? Mm -hmm. um, and they're supposed to be building things and working on projects and working with design software and so on. And so, you know, his, and they are an 80 minute time block. So teacher will use 10, 15 minutes to kind of get him launched for the day, right? And then, you know, my son is working with his project partners on whatever their thing they're supposed to be building, right? And the teacher's just there right? Just, just like you would be in class, right? Like in class, you would turn the kids loose in their small groups and they would work on stuff, right? And you're just kind of roaming around and watching, right? And the teacher can do the same thing, right? Like the teacher can turn the groups loose. They can say, all right, groups one and two, I'm going to check in with you over the next 10 minutes. Group three and four, I'm going to check in with you over the following 10 minutes. Um, by the way, we're going to have a whole class check-in. Everybody's going to report out on what your progress has been like over the last half hour. At this time, I'll see everybody back then, right? Um, you know, it's a great time to do individual conversations, tutoring, check-ins, to do, um, you know, small group uh, tutoring opportunities with the kids that need it. Like, you just have all this flex with the lifetime. Like, you don't have to do direct instruction for 60, 80 minutes or whatever your time is, right? Like, just like you would in class. The kids are working, and then you're just kind of popping in, checking in on people. You're having whole class check-ins. Everybody comes back together. Let's see where we are with things. Turn you loose again. Look, if you completely, you know, don't use your right now in class, then you get to do it as homework, just like you would <laughs> if you were meeting face-to-face, -face, right? Like, it's all the same stuff. I don't know why we have to think about this time as different. 
um, you know, just set it up. Yeah, no, and I think, I mean, that that's the key there, Scott. And I think like anything in, in life, not just education, but in general, sometimes we tend to overcomplicate what doesn't need to be overcomplicated. We know we do that in education, just naturally the sole system of education is we know over overcomplicated. That's another conversation for another day. And I think that what, we, but, but what you said though is spot on, like just take a pause, take a deep breath and, and realize what you were doing doesn't have to be this super, you know, 16 hours of planning what this life session could look like. Keep it authentic, just like you did in the classroom when you had them, you know, in your four cylinder walls, you know, confined to in between the bells of, of life of, of, of school, you know, where you did walk around and kids could come approach you and they could break out and have their small group conversations. And I think you can create the same thing and you don't need 32 tools and 14 extensions and all these things to be successful. It's here's this context. Here's where I am at. Go forth, come to me when needed and do your check-in like you normally would. It just, as opposed to walking, we have to do some, some texting and, and maybe, you know, using, using the voice and, and, and video. And so I think it's really important as a reminder just to go, you know what you need to do. And sometimes we're, we're kind of sifting through the weeds and we didn't even need to get into the weeds to begin with. Right, and I think that's one of the things that I think Catlin Tucker does so well. She articulates sort of how to think about that in a very structured, concrete way, right? Okay, look, so you've got this 16-minute block. You use 10 minutes as an introduction. You use 10 minutes at the end for, for closing. That gives you 40 minutes in the middle. All right, great. Divide that 40 minutes into four chunks, right? And it's basically four rotations of kids, right? Every kid's going to have two of those blocks to work with their parents on, you know, the work. 10 minutes will be a conversation with the teacher in a small group, right? And then the other 10 minutes will be, you know, whatever else, um, right? And that's the idea, right? Just segment it out and then just slot the times and turn kids loose and make sure everybody knows what it's supposed to be during the time block and then say, see you later, see you tomorrow. <laughs> right? Yeah. No, I, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, it's so good. I mean, that's, yeah, we'll definitely make sure for those that don't know her work to throw that in, into the resources for people. But yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's so true. Right. Yeah, and all the same things we would do in class, I think is, are also possible in these online spaces, right? So you would send kids down to the library to get resources. Well, send kids to the web to get resources. Um, you see a kid over here who's really struggling, but you know this kid on the other side of the room is doing well on that, so you would send kid B over to help kid A. We'll do the same thing online, right? Like, you checked in on small group C, they're rocking it, small group A is struggling, we'll get them connected, have them meet up and talk, right? <laughs> like, put them in a breakout room, uh, whatever. Like, we can do the same kind of thing. Uh, we don't have, like you said, we don't have to overcomplicate it. No, I love it. And, I, you know, I think as, as, as we're talking here and, and, and we kind of – wrap up and get to the final thoughts. I know you've got a lot on your plate and we want to get the teachers into action. You know, I think it's, it's just coming back to this idea, almost what I talked about earlier, you know, these two worlds don't need to be two worlds. It's, it's one world. And you know, it's just, the platform is a little different, but our structures, our routines, our, our, our teaching patterns can be the same if you had good sound teaching practices to begin with you know and i think that is is the key um to a lot of this and so scott as as, as we kind of wrap this up here and, and move them into action what are you know any kind of final thoughts you have what are you know a, a challenge or, or talking points i know i i always i follow your blog and i feel like every blog post 
always has a, something for us to stop and pause and reflect on. Um, so I know you have lots of those, whether it's related to what we've talked about, it could be something completely different that maybe, you know, we, we didn't cover in our, our 25 minutes together. Um, but, sure. you know, what are, what are, what, what are some ideas or, or questions or, or, or things for educators to think about? Yeah, I don't know if I have anything new. I would probably just summarize some of the key points of what we talked about, yeah. which are um, take care of yourself, first and foremost, right? Um, let's give ourselves grace in the same way that we're trying to give our kids and families grace. Do less. <laughs> um, enlist and that might be the hardest one to do right there, to do less. <laughs> right. One way to do that, of course, is by whittling down the curriculum into those essential pieces and go deeper on that. Uh, designed for online, designed for high engagement, um, enlist students as partners. Uh, the more agency and control and ownership you give, you're able to give kids, the less that you have to do, right? Um, and then you're just filling in the gaps around whatever content or skills coverage you need to make happen, right? Um, and uh, tap into your online resources like Catlin Tucker and Jennifer Gonzalez and others, right, who are putting out some really great resources around strategies and logistics and, you know, creative ideas to function during this environment. Um, and most of all, you know, we're all in this together, so lean on whoever you need to to, to uh, be successful. But, um, you know, I think what you said about not overcomplicating it is a great way to probably end this conversation. Yeah, and I think that, and you know, I appreciate your your insight and and your, your perspective on all this, and even to go all the way back to something you said at the very beginning um, that that we didn't dive into, but I think is is really important as as we try to do less and we try to take care of ourselves, working with your your coaches, your administrators, whatever your other supports in your building. Nobody has the answer, and I know that can be frustrating, but I also know just due to the nature and the DNA of an educator, they also feel like they have to do all of the things. And when there isn't necessarily, I'm going to call it a direct order. And that sounds really negative. I don't mean a direct order, but when there isn't that <laughs> strong decision-making leadership, because everybody is trying to figure this out. So this is not finger pointing in any capacity. It, you, you feel even more of a burden. Like, well, if they don't know, then I have to do this because I, it's my kid. You know, there are, I had, and I think we have to continue to have those conversations with everybody involved. What does this look like? You know, so something you said earlier, if the kids aren't showing up and doing any of the things, you need to make sure you're still pushing those conversations for admin to go, you guys need to do a visit. Well, what does this look like with our team and our collective effort? I just said, you go do this. Now I, I just point a finger. I didn't, you know, but having those conversations because these are new roles, these are new scenarios. And so you're feeling that not everybody knows that you're feeling that either. So I think it's, you know, just to kind of build into the recap of those things also realize these conversations as a district, as a building are just as important as the conversations you're having with yourself and with your students. So, well, Scott, thank you so much for your time. Great wisdom, great insights. We've got lots of things for people to go do and explore. And I think just to, to look at their structures, their routines, what they're doing, maybe think about what they should not be doing in order to strengthen what they should be doing. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, we'll definitely get the links to all the resources, how to reach out to you. All your stuff will be there, definitely in the show notes and the PD. And, you know, as always, it's always a pleasure speaking with you, Scott. And uh, thank you for uh, taking some time to uh, give us some, some new ideas to process.